Welcome to the Level Up with GNO Realty Podcast, your number one source for information on buying, selling, and investing in real estate in the greater New Orleans area. Now, here are your hosts, Braden Smith and Chuck Stahl. Welcome to the Level Up Podcast with GNO Realty. I'm Braden Smith. I'm Chuck Stahl. And we're back again for episode number three. So, last time on episode two, we went over our second part of our three-part series on purchasing a home. And you talked about ways to craft competitive offers. And if you wouldn't mind maybe recapping a few of those things for anybody who might have missed last week. If you did miss last week's, or excuse me, last month's, go ahead wherever you get your podcast and check it out or on our YouTube channel. Yeah, so last time we, we dug a little bit deeper into the current market conditions and how to kind of navigate those as a buyer in today's market. Uh, as we've mentioned before, it's a very tough market for buyers out there these days. Um, it's a pretty easy market for sellers, but tough for buyers. But it's, it's challenging, but it can be done. And, and we talked about some ways to create, craft those competitive offers to kind of make your offer stand out in today's market. And some of those things we talked about were uh, shortening your inspection period, your due diligence period. Um, you know, if you have a cash offer, there is the option to potentially waive an appraisal, uh, letting the seller pick the closing date, or at least trying to match your desired closing date with the seller's desired closing date. Um, and that, that's kind of when we got into talking about doing a little bit of, um, I guess what we call stalking your seller a little bit, you know, trying to look them up on light, social media. Light internet stalking. We all do it. You know, and nowadays with online dating, it's just due diligence, right? Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, so those were all the kind of things we went through last time. And um, today we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that inspection period and, and how all that works. Uh, and before we move on with that a little bit, I wanted to say uh, that there are those diamonds in the rough that you can find. That recently uh, I had a client who was looking in a part of town that was typically um, priced higher than we expected to put in an offer for, get accepted, and get all the way through closing. And, uh, and it happened. They're out there. There are good properties out there for sale. Perhaps the sellers are motivated in different ways, but don't, I, I think a lot of people are cutting themselves off as buyers and trying to wait it out. Uh, talk to your real estate agent. It might not be us. We hope it's us, but th there are some properties out there if you do your homework and, and your research. Yeah, and, absolutely. And you can navigate through those negotiations and get that offer accepted. Yeah, and I wouldn't necessarily say that waiting is a, is a good idea either. Rates are... They've ticked up a little bit recently. You know, we hit a low of, I think, all the way down to 2.65 at one point, and we're back up over three again now. And last I saw, I think we were right around 3.17. And uh, rates are expected to hover around 3% for the remainder of the year, but there's a very good possibility they're going to tick up a bit in the third to fourth quarter of this year and, uh, you know, may get up to 3.25, 3.5 or something. So waiting as a buyer is not really going to not going to do you any good. It's not really going to be in your best interest as a buyer to wait because you're just going to end up paying a higher interest rate. And there's, I, honestly, I don't think that the market's going to be any easier for buyers as we progress through this year. I think there might be a light period too where sellers are going to keep the prices the way they are and interest rates are going to tick up a little bit. And that's really when it's going to be the toughest time to be a buyer. So maybe getting in before that or right after that, but timing that's tough. So talking to a real estate professional and talking to your agent is the best way to get that information. Yeah, definitely. And every little bit that interest rates rise, as a buyer, what it does to you is it reduces your purchasing power. So, 
uh, if I remember correctly, just a 1% increase reduces a buyer's purchasing power by over $10,000 or more, I think, if I can't, I don't remember the exact stat, but it's something like that. A, a significant amount, something that moves the needle, as we say. So we're talking about the inspection period this week, and this episode is going to go all the way from the inspection period through closing. going to be a lot of information, uh, but bear with us, stick with us, because it's very beneficial for you. And hey, we're giving out free real estate advice here, expecting nothing, but maybe some likes and some shares. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and kick it back to Braden. And uh, what, what is this inspection period? We talk about as due diligence period, the inspection period. Break that down. Yeah, the inspection period is, is your opportunity as a buyer to do any and all inspections that you choose to do. They're not required, and it's totally up to you if you want to do them or not. And there has been one or two times in my career as a, a realtor that I've had maybe, I want to say, two or three buyers over the, the last almost 10 years uh, opt to not do an inspection when I strongly advised them to do an inspection, and they still took it upon themselves and said, no, I don't want to do one. And so um, that's totally your, your choice, but it's highly recommended that you do the inspections. And what most buyers are going to do uh, it's three different types of inspections. You're going to do a general home inspection, uh, which is your general home inspector. They're going to come out, look over everything top to bottom, inside and out. They're going to go in the crawl space. If there is one, they're going to go in the attic. They're going to walk on the roof. They're going to check every little single thing about the house, uh, including all your major mechanicals and your big ticket items. Um, and then you're also going to want to do a termite inspection. Obviously, we have termites in our area. Uh, termites are a big concern. And if a house is not under a current termite contract, it's just a matter of time before it does get some termite damage and, and some active termite infestation. Uh, and then the third thing that most buyers are gonna do is a video pipe inspection to check the main sewer line from the house to uh, where it runs out and connects with the city to make sure that there's no sags or breaks or anything like that in there. And as uh, pretty much everybody knows that's from here, everything sinks, so. <laughs> Consistently. <laughs> right. Consistently. So the, those main sewer lines over time typically need to be replaced given enough time. So you have three inspectors, three sometimes three separate en entities, but general and termite sometimes can go together. The same inspector might do both of those. A lot of them do nowadays, yeah. Nowadays, so you, but still, in in the market we're in, a lot of these inspectors are, are really booked up. Their 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 timelines and windows are tight. Um, Let's talk about, let's get specific with this inspection period. When does the clock start ticking? When, when do buyers need to start get this process going? Your clock's going to start ticking on your inspection period as soon as you have what we call a ratified contract, which basically just means everyone signed off on it and it's been accepted. The, you've presented the offer to the seller. Uh, maybe they accepted it or maybe you went back and forth with a couple of counter offers. But at some point you got to a fully executed or fully ratified contract. And so the inspection period starts the day after that. Um, typically, our standard time frame for inspections in the greater New Orleans area is a 10 to 15 day inspection period. It's pretty standard. Um, longer than that is really out of the ordinary. Uh, some people may do shorter than that, but longer than that's very uncommon. Um, and nowadays, as you mentioned, the inspectors are very busy, so you probably want to do at least a 14, if not a 15 day inspection period um, just to give yourself enough time to actually get the inspector scheduled. It might take them three, four, five days before you can even get them to come out to the house. So giving yourself a window there and, and that inspection period, that, that start clock is not negotiable. That starts when it starts because that is where you're in the severage the, you and the seller have negotiating power. So <laughs> uh, what, what does an inspection cost? What do these general inspections typically run you? If, I'm, if I've put an offer down and I'm serious about a house, 
what am I going to have to ante in here as, in, to my inspector? Um, the inspections vary between inspection companies. Um, just like any other person you'd hire, you're going to get a lot of variation in, um, in pricing between different companies. You know, like if you get a roofer to come out and give you an estimate or a plumber or electrician, you're always going to get a wide range of pricing. And you do get a range of pricing with inspectors too. But generally speaking, for a typical, say, 2,000 square foot house or less, 2,000 square foot or less, it's going to run you somewhere in the vicinity of 350 to maybe $450, depending on who you hire. And then Obviously, if it's bigger than 2,000 square feet, it's going to cost you more. It's a bigger house, more stuff to look at. If it's a multifamily or a multi-unit property, it's going to cost you more because you have multiple units to go through. Um, but for your standard house, usually in the 350 to 450 range, something like that, um, there may be extra charges with some of the inspection companies if it is an older house. Um, if it's 50 plus years old, some of them do add an additional charge for that just because there's extra things they need to check and look for on those older homes. Would you, what uh, are some of those things? Because I know we learned about them in real estate school, but just for our, some of our viewers here, what are some of those things? Well, especially on some of the older New Orleans houses, it's very likely you're going to have some knob and tube wiring present. Um, the inspector needs to make sure none of that is live. Uh, Many times when houses get updated and rewired, they don't pull all the old new knob and tube wiring out just because it's hard to get to, you know. But they just kind of leave it and abandon it. Yeah, but believe it or not, sometimes that stuff's still hot. It's still live too, and I've seen it where inspectors have checked some of that stuff and it's still live, and it's a pretty big safety hazard to have, you know, 60, 70, 80 year old wire still running power through it. Hot. <laughs> and not only that, a lot of those wire old wires had like a cloth outer covering on them you know so <laughs> flammable um we hadn't quite figured electricity out yet you know right. at, the, when the, at that time and the uh they may be an additional charge with some of the inspectors too if there's a, a hard to navigate or very narrow crawl space underneath they're going to charge you extra for that because if they got to get on their belly and slither around under the house they're going to want some more money for that you know if it's once a, the jumpsuit comes out right. of the truck and they start zipping up you can you can start adding to that yeah um well, what, what about, we? well, termites, we know we're in a termite area of kind of swampy southeast Louisiana. Um, but tell us again more about the video pipe. Why is that video pipe, we know about the sinking hazards for the, where there's the connections, but what other things could happen and what other type of pipe materials are kind of unique to this area? Well, kind of going back to the older houses that we were talking about, a lot of your older houses are going to have um, terracotta piping for some clay. of the sewer lines yeah basically, basically clay, clay pipe, pipes like you might have flowers in in your backyard yeah. or something you know how easy that stuff breaks you, you accidentally kick it and it cracks you know um and then a lot of them are old cast iron and that stuff rusts out over time and and that's another thing to note with those uh, cast iron waistlines if they've been sitting not unused for a long time or the house has been sitting vacant um, for you know year plus couple years those cast iron pipes start to flake on the insides. They'll just start flaking and you get all this flaky buildup in there too. And, and so a lot of times that's going to have to be snaked out to get it in use again. And then there's a potential that the pipe may have rusted when you try to snake it and then you break it, you know, so. Right. The flake leaving is something that used to be the pipe. Yeah, it's and, shedding. Right. The pipe shedding its skin. So you flush that out, you now have a thinner pipe, which has more chance i guess to, to rupture in different yeah. ways so and you're in danger there and your inspectors are going to check all those things for you just like a lot of the older houses have for your uh, supply lines on the water it might be old galvanized piping what happens with galvanized piping over time the chlorine and other chemicals in the water causes uh the inside of the galvanized pipe to start scaling and, and basically shrinking 
kind of like if you have grease in the line or like if you've got your arteries your clogged arteries yeah. that's what, kind of what i was it's thinking like of, that yeah. it's, it starts to narrow over time and and so like sometimes you might have an older house where it has poor water pressure that could be why because it's the pipe has shrunk and shrunk and shrunk over time with those galvanized piping but the inspectors again they're going to check water pressure they're going to make sure you have good flow everywhere you're going to make sure nothing's leaking um, and that's what the inspection is for the purpose of the inspection is to check for these major concerns like that like with your plumbing system your electrical system things like that uh, as well as major safety concerns like we talked about with maybe the old rag wire or the knob and tube wiring that's still alive that's a safety concern you know so a railing not being on a banister some kind of step not being marked something that was against some sort of code or protocol all those Absolutely. different things yeah and that's really the the main purpose for them so the inspector might come back with a hundred page report in there now it's going to have a lot of pictures also but it might be a very lengthy that's report. my kind of reading though i gotta tell you i pictures. like a lot of pictures <laughs> i don't think they have the pop-up kind though <laughs> no we're, we were requesting it we're asking um but yeah, you don't let the inspection report scare you. You know that's one thing, especially with first-time home buyers. They see this super long report, and they're like, "Oh my God, I don't want this house." Right, the money pit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but that's the inspectors do that though intentionally because they want to make sure that there's nothing missed in there. They don't want to, you know, part of it's just a CYA thing where they don't want to have anything where you can come back on them and say, "Well, you didn't have this in the report." So they're going to make sure every possible thing's in that report. But it's also that's just their job to be thorough. I think they pride themselves. In that too in the sense that look how many things i've found and as you've talked before what they'll typically do is categorize them by levels of severity here's right. here are things you and absolutely color code them as well which i also appreciate <laughs> make it really simple on me i love a graph i like these yep. reports and sometimes you know i know you know some of the inspectors that you and i use will do it right there with a ipad mm -hmm. send it to the client immediately you can sit there almost uh, right outside by the truck. We don't recommend doing it in the kitchen. There could be cameras and things in yeah, there. Yeah, as we talked, talked about, about before, yeah. But always assume you're being being recorded both audio and video. Um, but as you're able to talk about it, I mean, you, you can see live pictures that the inspector took from phone. Technology is a great thing. These reports are thorough. And um, well, while we're asking that, who's entitled to these reports? Well, the buyer's paying for it, so it belongs to the buyer. And it's the buyer's choice of, of where it goes from there. You're not required to share it with the listing agent or the seller. If you, uh, once you get into the inspection response that we're going to go into next, you know, you can choose just to send select pages from the report or you can send the whole report. It's totally up to you as the buyer. It belongs to you. You bought it. It's yours. What do you do? I typically send sections. I don't typically give them the whole thing. I just, I don't know why. I don't like it. I don't like turning over my whole hand. Right. Um, and I like to do it that way a lot of times too, where I just give the, the sections that are needed but sometimes I like to give the whole report because when you give the whole report but I'm only asking for a few things I want you to see everything that's in there and then say hey look there's a lot of stuff in there but we're only asking for these three or four things and I want them to see everything that's in there just so I can kind of use that in my negotiation now, that's a great point it shows look, we were talking about uh, reasonable responses get reasonable answers you know, to, to the response, uh, the response, the inspection response shouldn't necessarily be seen as a renegotiation table right. on, on the price. I mean, unless there are serious defects, you know, things that need to be fixed. But yeah. like, for example, if you do a video pipe inspection and you discover that it needs a full underslab plumbing replacement, then, yeah, you're going to want to renegotiate that. That, that could be ten, fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 worth of work that needs to be done. And so obviously you're going to want to renegotiate your purchase price on that. Um, 
but most things weren't going to require something that large of a renegotiation. Um, but sometimes with the inspector, though, you will find where, you know, they do the kind of general overall inspection, and then they may come back and say, hey, you know, I was up there on the roof, and there's a lot of granule loss. The shingles seem like they're pretty old. I'm, pretty I'm not a roofer, but right. <laughs> maybe it seems like it's here. probably at the end of its life. You probably want to get a licensed roofer out here to look at it. And so that's what the inspector will do. They'll recommend further evaluation by, uh, you know, a licensed plumber or a licensed electrician or a licensed roofer. So they're kind of just going to do the broad general overview, and then they're going to advise you if you need to do additional uh, evaluations and inspections beyond the home inspection. And then when you do that, you want to make sure that you get written estimates from those people so that you can, again, show that to the seller to use in your negotiations. I recently just did that with one of uh, my buyers where roof was at the end of its life. There was a, a sliding door, old aluminum sliding door on the back that barely would open. You had to, like, fight with it with both arms to pull mm -hmm. it open. We've all been um, on that door. Yeah, and then there was a couple windows on, on two dormers up top that had some uh, signs of water intrusion, some wood rot around them. So those windows need to be replaced. The siding be redone around those windows. So we had a contractor come out there and look at all this stuff and then totaled it all up and said, hey, here's what we're looking at as far as cost to fix these things. And these are necessary that they need to be fixed. Right. They're not That's, just and stuff. And it's not we, pennies either. The, that, replacing windows and, and all the trim around it starts yeah. to add up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so what we did is we said, look, here's the total cost, but we're only going to ask for half of that. We're trying to be fair, but I want him to see, here's the full cost. So that, you, again, use that in your negotiation, and we're trying to be fair about things. We're not asking you to pay for all of it. We're just asking you to pay for half of it. Right. I knew I wasn't buying a new house, right. so I'm buying half the age of that. Let's go halvesies here on these windows. And, again, like we say, reasonable responses, get reasonable answers. People want to get – if you've already got the offer accepted, both sides want to get to the closing table. But, yep. like we were talking about getting another – uh, certified inspector after your general inspection, all this has to be done in that 10 to 14 day Absolutely. on average period. Yeah. So you got to be quick about it. You got to be quick to line your inspectors up immediately. Once that clock starts ticking, that should be the first thing you're doing. Actually, the first thing you, you should do right now in the current market is as soon as you have that ratified or fully executed contract is all, get on the phone, start calling your inspectors, line them up immediately. Because like I said, they might say, Hey, I'm booked this week and I can't get to you until next Monday. And so now you got to wait a whole week to even get them out there. And if you've only got 14 days, you just blew a whole week of it. So, And as we said before, not all inspectors are created equal. So if you have one that you have a preference in using and you know that this inspector is you, – it makes you feel confident as a buyer using that particular inspector. You especially want to be on it. There's a lot of reasons to get moving on it. Yeah, and if you don't have a, an inspector that you know or have used before, then your realtor is going to be able to recommend one for you and, and – you know, from somebody like me, I've been through many inspectors over the years until I finally found one that I was confident in referring to people. You know, I had one that I used for, wasn't long, it was a few months, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he had a good price for my buyers, which is kind of what attracted me to him at, at first. But after, a, I probably only used him for three inspections, to be honest with you, because after three of them, and I saw how quickly he did them, I was like, there's no way you're doing a thorough inspection that quick. And, uh, I, yeah, I just had to cut them loose. Like, I don't feel you confident referring you. don't feel good about your client you. being protected. Right, exactly. Because who they're going to be mad at, the inspector or you? Yeah, you know, probably both. <laughs> Maybe both of us, yeah, but you referred this inspector. Right, right. But, you yeah, get... once you get a great inspector, and we are happy to refer uh, inspectors to you if you're looking for one. 
as well as anyone else. I mean, most of us realtors, we have contacts for anything and everything real estate related from the, from the front curb of the house to the back fence and everything in between. We know somebody for Landscape, whatever you need. title yeah. companies, lenders, everybody seems to call us because they all know that you guys call us first. Right, right. Uh, so back to that inspection response, you know, that this is your opportunity when, you, when it comes time to submit the inspection response to the listing agent and seller, this is your opportunity as a buyer to list any and all deficiencies that you found. Again, back to what we were saying earlier, major concerns, you know, structural issues, safety hazards, but just your major issues. Not move-in ready objects, Yeah, not, right? not because like a, an outlet's missing a cover plate or, you know, there's, there's a, a, a bedroom doorknob that doesn't quite latch properly. I mean, you, some, some of that stuff you can list, list in the inspection response, but typically it's just going to be the major items. And if you have major items, you're not going to want to ask for a bunch of nitpicky stuff because you want to make sure the major stuff gets done. My line is, because, and I'm not the world's most handy guy, but I have YouTube. And if I can figure it out on YouTube, I try to typically advise my clients to leave that one off and go with the things that they could not do themselves. So Yeah, and, and another thing as a buyer that you should keep in mind, especially if you're a first-time home buyer and you've never owned a home before, owning a home requires maintenance. It's stuff you're going to have to get used to doing. <laughs> Either that or you're going to have to pay somebody to do it. So if there's a bunch of little stuff that needs to be done, it's probably in your best interest to figure out how to do them because... You're going to have ongoing maintenance things that needs to be done, things that need to be adjusted, all of those sort of things. Um, so with the inspection response, though, this is where you're going to list your, your uh, deficiencies found and your desired remedies. And again, short and sweet is best. You don't want to give a three-page response, which I think you got not long my ago. My first one. <laughs> my first listing ever, I got a three-page inspection response. And it was, it was from a thorough inspector who did a good job, but it was a first-time home buyer, and they... Um, you know, they, they came back with the full response sheet. Well, we came back with, um, well, this is what we we're, we feel we're responsible for contributing to. And and we were able to get to the closing table. When you, when you got that three-page response and you showed that to your seller, how'd they react? Strongly. They, they reacted strongly. In a, and they, in a and negative they, way, I assume. They started, you know, they, they said, well, we can go back to the backup. Like, it, it, it went to that. Yeah. And, and you don't you don't want it to go there. So you try to keep everything cool and under control and say, all right, well, let's give them a response that we think is appropriate. Yeah. And I'll call their agent. That's where the agents work together on, on finding that common ground and looking at those inspection reports and what is common practice yeah. in, in, the, in New Orleans. And, and as a buyer, you got to keep in mind also that emotion comes into play on both sides. And so... When you submit a very lengthy inspection response to a seller, it's going to elicit an immediate emotional response that's probably going to be anger. <laughs> you just called my house right. a lemon. Right. My right. home where I have had these memories. Like, people feel very strong. Even if they're selling their home, they, they still, it was their home. Yeah, and so if you do that and you set the t you're setting the tone now for the rest of the negotiations for your inspection response. Because if you send them that lengthy thing, it immediately elicits uh, an emotional response that is anger. Now they're already in a bad mood. Now they have a bad taste in their mouth in dealing with you. And so now they may say, you know what? I'm not doing any of this. You can, you can take it or leave it. Or they might try to work with you and say, all right, look, I'll do these things, but not these other ones. And then if you come back and say, no, I want this done, then they may just throw their hands up in the air and say, you know what? I'm done with these people. Let's move on. Put it back on the market. We'll find another buyer. 
you know so and in the in the climate right now you will absolutely yeah there's probably two or three people waiting in line for the house yep. right now um so again seller strong sellers market sellers have the advantage uh, and that's something that you have to keep in mind as a buyer is that the sellers do have options for buyers right now so again you got to be reasonable with your inspection response but regardless of the market conditions you still should be reasonable with your response you're not buying a, a new house it's just like buying a car when you go to buy a used car it's probably going to have some nicks and dents and scratches in it it's some not going to be perfect right right yeah, same thing history. with the, it's a used house it's going to have some wear and tear on it it's been lived in it's it's going to look like it's been lived in you know and obviously some more so than others but you know within reason you, you should expect to have some some uh, defects in the house just like when you're buying a used car you should expect to have some minor defects so it looks like there's four ways that we can handle the inspection response as a seller and like you said the seller can kind of agree to all the terms it's not common right now but unless you got a response that was completely reasonable and the seller said, yep, I should fix those things or credit you for those things. Yeah, and actually that, that brings up a good point, just made me think of most sellers are willing to do things. They know they're going to do some things. Mm -hmm. And most sellers want to make sure that the buyer is getting a good house. I've had many a seller tell me that, like, they'll tell me. I know they're asking for all this stuff. Look, I want them to have a good house. I don't want them to have issues with the house. But, you know, if it's a three-page thing, they're going to say, this is a little ridiculous. You know, obviously, I want them to have a good house. I'll take care of some of this stuff for them, but that's just too much. And so if you're reasonable with them, they're generally going to be reasonable with you. Um, but, yeah, so when you send that inspection response to the seller, you've got uh, – they have four options, basically, uh, how to respond to you as the buyer. One, like you said, they can agree to everything. And they say, sure, no problem, we'll do everything you ask for. Or two, they'll say, oh, it's kind of a lot. We'll do some of it, but not all of it. Probably the most common. Yeah, and they'll, they'll mark which ones that they're, they're willing to do, and it is the most common one. Um, or they can say, you know what, I'm not doing any of this, but I'll give you X amount of dollars in a repair credit or off the purchase price. That's and that, my favorite. That's my favorite choice. Mine, too, to be honest with you, and, I, and uh, I'll explain why in just a moment. And the fourth option is they can take kind of a hard stance and just say, hey, you know what, take it or leave it. I'm not doing anything, and I'm not giving you any money off the price. Um, that doesn't really happen, but that may happen when you send a three-page inspection it, response. <laughs> let me tell you, it came close to happening. Yeah. When when, when you, we got a response like that. And that's to be expected. But, um, yeah, the credit in lieu of repairs or, or money off the purchase price, in my opinion, is the most efficient way to do it for all parties, and it's the best way on both sides. As a buyer, if you ask the seller to make repairs, what do you think they're going to do? Uh, I'm I'm gonna go with the most economical repairs that that I can. I'm gonna I'm gonna check a list. I'm, I'm exactly. all I have to do is fulfill an obligation. Exactly. I'm gonna find the cheapest people I can to take care of this stuff and just get it done. Like you said, check it off the list. That's obviously not in your 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 favor as a buyer. So, and then from the seller side, if you agree to make those repairs, whoever you hire to do them, if something's not done right after the sale, you may run into problems where. The buyer's calling you up or, or calling their agent, having them contact your agent and saying, hey, you know, that guy you had to do these repairs, that stuff's falling apart already. They didn't do it right, and it could just turn into a big mess. So when you do the credit, it takes all of that away. The yeah, I like when closing happens to we're closed. Right, it's done. It's done. 
We're not yeah. going back and dealing with issues with the house anymore. Yeah, and so as a credit, the buyer, you can hire whoever you want to do it. You can get, you know, three or four different estimates out there, get a few people to look at it, and then choose who you think is the best person to do the job. And then as the seller, like I said, it takes all that responsibility off of you just saying, hey, look, you know, it's fine. Here's, here's X amount of dollars for you to get it done, hire whoever you want, and, and take care of it. And your agent can tell you, is this a typical price for something like this? And, you know, what is their estimate, their brother-in-law, you know, lowballing it just and putting letterhead on it your agent has the experience to tell you what is common practice what is common price what is in your best interest you know don't be afraid to talk to them yeah and it may it may be a situation where if, if there is uh an agreement to give a credit you may need to get some actual estimates on paper so you know what is a reasonable credit amount uh, based on the list of things that you're dealing with uh, so once you, once you send that to the seller, they have those four choices, then they send it back to you, as the back to the buyer's agent and to the buyer, and then the buyer basically has two choices. You either accept the seller's response or you don't. The old, uh, the old uh, thumbs up, thumbs down from the emperor right there. Right, right. We're moving forward or we're not. And if, the, uh, if you decide not to accept their response, then you cancel the contract and you'll get your deposit back as long as you're still inside of that inspection period. Um, I have had a couple instances recently where I've had to extend an inspection period just because just didn't have enough. Even though it was a two-week inspection period, because everybody's so busy, we just did not have enough time to get everything done. Um, but, you know, anytime you're asking for an extension, just kind of a side note here, whether it's an extension on your inspection period, your extension on loan approval, your extension for the act of sale, the seller has to sign off on that. Everybody has to agree to it, and they're not obligated to do so. No, I was I was just thinking it, there's a testament right there to sellers trying to get to the closing table and working with you and offering you that extension on the inspection period and believing in their property and knowing that their property was good, uh, even though something could still show up that they didn't foresee. So, yep. um, well, let's say we're moving forward. Let's say everything's okay. We've passed the inspection response period and we've decided to go forward to closing, what happens next? Usually once all your inspections and post-inspection negotiations are done, from there, uh, the buyer's agent's gonna communicate with the lender and say, hey, look, all inspections are done. We've made it through all post-inspection negotiations. We are good to go, full steam ahead. Go ahead and order the appraisal. And the reason they wait to do the appraisal after the inspection period is because you might cancel. And if you cancel during the inspection period and you've already paid for an appraisal, now you just wasted that money. And appraisal is typically 500 bucks or so. So you wait until you get through all the inspections and post-inspection negotiations and then go forward with the appraisal. How are appraisers uh, selected? Do can I can I hire or, or submit for one or? The lender is going to order the appraisal, and the way it works nowadays is it's done through kind of a random selection process. So nobody knows who the appraiser is until uh, the day the appraiser calls the listing agent to schedule a visit to do the appraisal. And they do that for a reason because many years back there was a lot of collusion happening between agents and appraisers and lenders. Don't believe and... <laughs> it. I don't, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, appraisers too. What they do is it, it's a uh, it's a difficult job to be an appraiser. There's a you're predicting things. You're using a lot of professional opinion, professional. Uh, analysis but it, it's still a prediction and you're using historical data to predict a future value it's like being a weather person it really is Kinda, like yeah. <laughs> it, it, you're using a lot of the same principles and oftentimes weather people are wrong but well i would say appraisers are more accurate than weather people without no a doubt. doubt without a doubt <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they're using historical data to, to predict future value. And so they're typically trying to look at comps that are 
close within range with, within like three months of the of, of the current period maybe go back to six months if they're having a lot of trouble they may go back further but they also have to make adjustments but basically what appraisers are doing is the same thing we do as realtors when we're looking at comparables and doing our comparative market analysis uh, we're looking to compare apples to apples to put it simply you want to you want to compare other recently sold homes that are most similar to the subject property you know, one story to one story, two story to two story, slab house to a slab house, and so on and so forth. Bedroom, bath. The fewer the adjustments, the better that it's a comparable. Absolutely. Um, so the listing agent, you know, they're going to get contacted by the appraiser. They're going to grant access to the appraiser to uh, to do to access the house, to enter the house, and do their actual appraisal. And the appraiser is going to measure the house. He's going to take some pictures. He's going to notate, you know, what kind of fixtures and finishes there are in the house. Uh, but the vast majority of their work actually happens when they go back to their office and they start digging into the comparative sales and, and doing their analysis. How many hours, you say? I want to say it takes them about eight hours to do a full-fledged appraisal. So that's a whole solid days of work. Um, just in the office in front of the computer doing research. Doing one appraisal. Yeah, just for one, yeah. And believe it or not, the whole state of Louisiana only has about 600 licensed appraisers in it. Just in the greater New Orleans area, we have over 7,000 realtors. The whole state of Louisiana only has about 600 appraisers. So they have a lot of work on their plate right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So getting getting the appraisers just so, just to get on the closing date that you had agreed upon in the contract seems like almost a challenge right now. Yep. And that as a listing agent, you're not allowed to try to persuade the appraiser. You can provide them factual data, though. So if your seller did a lot of upgrades and renovations to the property, it's a good idea to get a list of those things from your client, from your seller. Anything that they've done in the time they've owned their property, put it on paper, put it in a list, and that's something you want to give to the appraiser to make sure that they know, since you've owned the property, you've done all of this stuff to it, you've put money into it so that they can factor that into their appraisal. That's pertinent information, and really the, the more work that you can do for them, they, they typically will appreciate it. I, I will say, look, here are the comparables that I ran when, I just, when we were deciding to list it you know and they can decide to look at them or not but yeah it seems oftentimes they'll take them they'll smile happily and hey i'll give them a look and yeah it gives them a starting point anyway and a lot of a, a lot of agents actually like to give them like a full kind of little packet where it's all the comps they use to price the property for the original list price it's a list of upgrades and renovations done by the seller it's basically anything the seller's done in the time they've owned their property and it makes their a job easier, to be honest with you. And so most of them are going to be appreciative of it, as long as you're not over there trying to twist their arm and say, "Hey, I really need it to be this price." Right. You know? Yeah. Then, then their their sirens start going off. Something right. shady is going on. Then they're going to tell you to kick rocks and get out of their face. You know. <laughs> but it seems like appraisers are trying to work with people. They they are not trying to shoot down uh, the contract. They're trying to validate it. They're exactly. looking for support for it. And they're doing a lot of homework to find that. And if you hear from that appraiser early, it means that he or she is having a hard time supporting this price. And maybe they want to get some more information from you. So if you don't hear from the appraiser, it's like a no news is good news Absolutely. situation. Yeah, yeah. And they're not going to share the, the appraisal data um, with anyone other than the buyer. Again, the buyer's paying for it. That information belongs to them. Uh, they're only going to share it with the listing agent. And the seller if there's a problem so if you don't hear anything on that side then like you said no news is good news because you're only going to hear about it if it appraises lower than the contract price and then what's going to happen is the buyer's going to say hey 
I need you to match this appraisal price because I'm not paying more than the appraised value for it. And that, that, that was, that's what I was going to ask. If, if we wind up in that situation, of course, if, if the home appraises, we know we go forward to the, to the final steps. But if it, what, what does that renegotiation look like? Is it basically You've got to submit it in thing? writing. No, you've got to submit it in writing, and, and there's, uh, there's some blanks on the contract that, where you fill it in as the, uh, as the buyer's agent when you write the contract as to how many days you have to do that. Um, usually most people put three or five days in there. So you have three to five days, something like that to submit that in writing to the seller. And then they have say three days to get back to you as to whether or not they're going to reduce the appraised value or not. Um, typically speaking and historically speaking, most sellers would be willing to match the appraised value. Um, although today in the current market environment, a lot of sellers, uh, seem to like to push the envelope, you know, with their pricing right now and prices do keep climbing. Some things get on that verge of, will this appraise now? Yeah. You know, I, and I kind of advise clients that when we're doing listings and, you know, everybody's got big green eyes right now. But we were talking about earlier, what if you get an amazing price and all the best terms that you want? What if you get to close on the day you want to close? What if you yeah, get Yeah, it's not yeah. always about price. So what, what's the easiest, you know, what if you need cash on hand? If you're moving, right, like you've got, got to buy the house with some money that where are you going to get the money from? So mm -hmm. a lot of those things... Uh, are to keep in mind so we've renegotiated we're moving forward what's the next step after this appraisal well once the appraisal is cleared and that's all good to go it's basically just a waiting game from there for the um, for the buyer and the buyer's agent well for everyone to be honest with you, everybody's just gonna kind of wait at that point you're gonna wait for the title company to do what they need to do and the lender to do what they need to do and the lender and the title company will be communicating in that time period now as an agent, whether you're the buyer's agent or the seller's agent, they both should be still involved in the process and updating their client regularly. Hey, I checked in with the title company, make sure everything is on track with them. I checked in with the lender. Everything's good. It's in underwriting. There's just a couple last steps to do. You want to stay on top of those things, um, especially in the current environment, because everybody's so busy, you, things get lost in the shuffle, you know. Yeah, you don't so, want to get falling through the cracks because you just didn't want to bug somebody. Or It's kind of our job as real estate agents yeah, to, is to be friendly and annoying, you know. <laughs> right. hi, hi, hey, just check in, you know. Yeah, I do it all the time. And it's as simple as shooting a text, you know, to like the lenders I work with. I just shoot them a text. Hey, checking in on 123 Main Street. How are we looking? Everything going all right? Everything in process? I think they appreciate that, too, because, it, 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 I mean, what if it fell through the – like, say, I'm one of the yeah. lender or the title company, and, oh, no, this guy lost in a stack on my desk. Thank you for calling me. Now we're going to get it moving along, and now everybody's happy because at the end of the day, you have those two parties, the clients, the, the end users. That's who need to be happy for all of us to continue to do what we do. Totally correct, yeah. I mean, the buyer's agent, the seller's agent, the lender, the title company, and the insurance agent. That's five people. It's a five-person team that it takes to make every real estate transaction happen, and those five people have to work together. There's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. It is. Make it work, though. So, so when, during that waiting game, you're going to wait, wait, wait. As I said, the agents should be checking in. They should be updating you throughout the process. And it might not be a, a, an update, you know, Every couple of days, maybe it's a once a week thing or every week and a half they're updating you. Maybe you just get a text from the agent and say, hey, I checked in with title company and lender. Everything's on track. We're looking good. Just hang tight. We're almost there. You know, we're, we're in the final stretch here. And then uh, once you get to the five days prior to the act of sale to your closing date, you have the opportunity to do your final walkthrough. So the final walkthrough is your opportunity as a buyer 
to go back and see that house again and make sure it's in the same condition as when you agreed to buy it. Um, you like want that it's there. Yeah, like it didn't burn down, tree didn't fall on it, car didn't crash into it, nothing crazy happened to it. Um, but also, you, you know, when the sellers are moving out, which by the time you're doing your final walkthrough, the sellers should be gone. They should be out of there by that point so that you have the opportunity to go look at the house with empty, with no furniture in it and make sure that, you know, there wasn't something hidden by furniture or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, but also you want to make sure that they didn't damage the house in the process of moving out. You know, that there's some some pieces of furniture are big, heavy items and they could... Door jams get hit. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know sheetrock, drywall can get, you know poke a hole in it, things like that. So Stuff's heavy. People lose control of stuff, you know, corners yeah. get... Floors can get scratched. I've had that happen before. When we go to final walkthrough, the wood floors were all scratched up by the movers. Mm -mm. And uh, that turned into a big mess. <laughs> so the, the, you're going to check on all of those things. But also, if you ask the seller to make any repairs during your inspection response, where you listed those deficiencies and desired remedies, this is your opportunity to go visually inspect them and make sure those things were done. Now, they should have sent you invoices and receipts for any work they had done to give you verifiable proof that they did get these things done. Um, also, so you have contact information for somebody to follow up with if there is a problem after the fact. Whoever, transparency. Yeah, whichever company did it. But you might want to go put your eyes on it. And, and if you're you know, not sure what you're looking at, like you said, you're not very handy. Nope. A lot of people are not handy. So maybe you need somebody else to look at it for you. You can pay your inspector to come back and do what they call a reinspection for a reduced price where they'll you'll hand them the list of stuff and say hey i need you to go make sure all this stuff got done hey you're the one that told me to get this done make sure this is to your right. standard this is why i trust you yeah and they can make sure not only that it was done but it was done properly so and that that would be especially good like you said if they did repairs in lieu of a credit you know you wouldn't necessarily need that reinspection period if you were just doing that final walkthrough and you were going to do those repairs via the credits this would be if the seller agreed to make these repairs and you wanted to make sure they were done properly. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, because when you have the credit, you're basically just going to do the quick walkthrough and make sure everything looks the same. And, you know, I would say probably 99% of the time the house looks the same. It, it's a rare occurrence where there is an issue at the final walkthrough. Um, you know, at this point in my career, I've sold hundreds of houses and I think I may have only had an issue a handful of times under i i could definitely count them on one hand so right. maybe three four times i did have an instance just as a as a little side note here where we go to do a final walkthrough one time and the sellers are still there and they haven't moved anything out hey and we're closing that day like we're supposed to be at closing in two hours they're they're still in the process of moving out and i'm like what what are y'all doing well, we're moving. I'm like, the closing's in two hours. There's no way you're going to be done. There's tons of stuff here still. There's no way you're going to be done in two hours. And then you're on their property and all their my, liability. My buyer flipped his lid and said, I don't want the house anymore. I'm done. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Now, that's a whole <laughs> another story for a, a whole long story for another day. I'm guessing you had day, to renegotiate but... the closing date. Yes, yes. It, it got very complicated, very messy. I had to uh, really put on like my psychiatrist hat and, and calm my buyer down and get him to the title office, sit him down and, and talk to him and his wife, get the attorney over to talk to him. Like I really had to uh, put on the, the, uh, the psychiatrist hat and talk him down off of a cliff because he was ready to jump yeah, that would be frustrating I, c I could imagine as you <laughs> and things like that happen in the real estate world it's it's uh as i tell everyone the real estate world is a constant roller coaster it's up and down and there's there's high highs where some days you're on top of the world and there's low lows where some days you're like i can't do this anymore 
there is definitely the probably the widest variety of day you can have. Oh yeah, and your business. day can start off awesome and then end at the bottom. And and in something like completely like and out of your control, you know, it's somebody, you know, it's it's another person doing something. You have to put out a fire or something. Yeah, so. like I said, it's about five people for every transaction, and if one of those people aren't doing their job, the whole thing goes off track. Yeah, it doesn't have to be your client, you know. No. Like, no. So, but okay, we get to the closing day. Everything is smooth. What happens at closing? Well, you're going to sign a whole lot of papers as a buyer. Stretch that that it hand probably, out. Probably might be a stack about a foot high or or close to it, maybe six inches. I'm exaggerating, but it's a lot of papers. Um, you're going to sign a lot of papers. Um, you, you might have some questions, and if you have them, ask away while you're there. Ask the, the uh, closing title attorney any questions you have. But I can tell you from experience uh, that it, you're not getting the house unless you sign all the papers they put in front of you. Mm. There's no negotiating anymore once you're at that closing table. Everything is locked in stone, and once it's on paper, that's it. It's got to be signed for you to get the house. Um, and you're going to get copies of all that stuff. You'll get, get a physical CD. copy. You're going to have to sign all that stuff uh, no matter what. Uh, the main thing that to be clear on, I would say as a buyer, is you want to be very clear on what is your total monthly payment, when is it due, how do you pay it, those things. Also, um, you should have already gotten all utilities switched over with the exception of your water. You should have already contacted, say, your gas company, your electricity company, and, and scheduled it to switch over to your name the day of closing or the, or the next day, the day after. Typically, though, with the water company, you need that cash sale document from the closing to be able to get it switched over to your name. <clears throat> and I always get them mixed up between Orleans Parish and Jefferson Parish, but one of them you can, like, fax the information in, um, but one of them you have to go down there in person. There, there's no other option for it. For always... I can guess, but even still, <laughs> one is a fax and the other is going in there, so it's yeah. New Orleans. We're definitely behind. <laughs> <laughs> Although, actually, I, I bought a property not long ago, and uh, I went to the Joe Yenny building in JP because the property's in Jefferson Parish. So I went to the Joe Yenny building to get the water switched over to my name. Um, and the uh, security guard, the officer at the desk, after you walk through the metal detector, I'm like, I need to go to the water department. I forget where it's at. Can you point me in the direction? He said, good luck. We've been closed for nine months. And I was like, all righty then. So how do I do this then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's going to make this problematic. <laughs> um, so then that, that ended up being a... Uh, uh, I think it was the Jefferson Parish where you had to go there in person all the time, but because of COVID, they've been closed for nine months or so. So now you do it over the phone, online, or, or what have you, which why didn't you just do that the whole time? But, you know, it's the government. Hey, that, that's the one thing that I think we that COVID has done is it's it's changed the way we do things, and a lot of things can now be done more remotely. We're not just talking about remote learning and Zoom meetings and all that kind of stuff, but people are it, it forced a lot of people to learn digital. It forced yeah. a lot of people to get better at using a digital format despite their age. And look, that's not an age thing because my grandmother is very good with a computer. And um, and I know younger people that aren't. No, I think my parents who, they're in their 60s, they... Um I think they just switched over from like the old clamshell flip phones just a couple years or a few yeah. years ago. So, <laughs> so, um, so at the closing table, your agent will be there with you. Um, they're going to walk you through the process. 
you're going to get the CD from the lender three days before closing, the closing disclosure, letting you know basically what to expect in these documents. You're going to get a lot of documents. It's going to be and tough that, to read every single thing. And that closing disclosure that they send out three days prior, that's federal law that it has to be sent three days prior, but it's going to spell out very clearly what your monthly payment is and what is you know, what's composed, what composes that payment? You know, how much is principal, how much is interest, how much is taxes, how much is insurance? It's all going to be spelled out on that closing disclosure for you. So it'll be itemized. If you have any questions, of course, as we always say, talk to your real estate agent. Uh, your agent's there to help you. And, that, and there's going to be another document that most real estate companies will have you sign. It's going to come from the seller side, the listing agent, and they're going to have you sign uh, what's called a final walkthrough and a key statement. And the final walkthrough just says that you had your opportunity to do the final walkthrough, and so you're going to sign off on that. Yes, I did it, and everything was fine. And then the key statement's going to say, we advise you to change the locks on the house because there's no telling how many copies of keys are out there. So you always want to change the locks when you move into a new house. You can pay a locksmith to come out and rekey your locks. That way they all have the same key. Or you can just go to Home Depot or Lowe's or something like that and buy a set of locks and put them on yourself. But then, you know, you'll probably end up with multiple sets of keys doing that. I tell you what, and again, talking about me here, not handy guy. <laughs> I was able to go in and change locks and, and install some of these digital locks, some of these smart locks. Mm -hmm. So now um, I can come in from my run and tell my watch to unlock the door and it yeah. unlocks the door before I walk in. Yeah, I put great. one of those on my house a couple of years ago and I love it where it, it has no key. There, You can't even use a key to get in my house. It's all done either with the touchpad or through the phone. There's an app on the phone. So I never have to fish for my keys or anything like that. Usually as I'm pulling into my driveway, I hit it on my phone. And that way it's already unlocked when I walk up to the house. That way, I don't, you know, if I'm carrying bags and all this other stuff, I'm not trying to fumble around with nope. keys. It's very convenient, very handy. The future is now. So. Right. Well, uh, we're going to have to start wrapping this up a little bit. We had a lot of information today. And um, on our next episode, we're going to get into selling homes, listing homes. And people may say, well, you know, hey, listing homes right now. I mean, it's pretty simple. There's still some navigation to do. There's still some ways you need to get the most on your return investment. It's still best to do it through a real estate agent. And we're going to show you and tell you why over the next few episodes in our next series on selling a home. Yeah, and we'll dig into, uh, we'll, we'll kind of do a general overview in the next episode, just like we did when we started off on the buyer side. And then from there, we'll get into some of the, uh, the more crafty strategies for sellers and and the uh you know what i think is the best strategy in the current market environment being that we have kind of this oversupply of buyers in the market and an undersupply of listings so we'll dig into all that in coming episodes as well so if you need to get in touch with us you can check out our emails below here or you can call us on our phone numbers so We'll see you guys next week. Remember to give us a like or a share. We understand that we can't be everybody's real estate agent, but if you're enjoying the content you're getting from our podcast, we ask you to share it with somebody. It could be a young person, a first-time home And tell, tell them again where they can find us. Yeah, uh, you can check us out on Facebook. Anchor.fm. Anchor.fm. Anywhere you get podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all you got to do is search for the Level Up Podcast with GNO Realty, and you're going to see these two Gorgeous faces <laughs> pop up. And yeah, uh, and we're on YouTube as well. So if you want to watch it, you can watch it on YouTube, watch and listen. Or if you just want to listen to it, then you can jump on one of those other places to listen to it. However you like to digest your podcast, if you have a smart TV, we'll pop up on your smart TV. If you're out walking your dog, we can listen to us doing that. Just check us out. Uh, give us a follow. And, and remember, we take questions too. So if there's a specific question you have as a buyer or a seller or, or a future buyer or seller uh, that you'd like us to address, 
feel free to leave it in the comments somewhere, send it to us via email, give us a call, uh, whatever it may be. We are accessible. You send us that, <laughs> we will get you. There's a voicemail on our Anchor FM page. So all those ways to get in touch with us. Uh, make sure you like, subscribe, share, and level up. We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching.